John R.W. Stott was a trusted English theologian and clergyman in the Anglican Church. Time Magazine once listed him among the 100 most influential people in the world. Stott pinpointed the problem in the church today with laser-like focus. He compared the modern church to the first century church in Laodicea, calling it half-hearted. He said the letter Jesus wrote to the Laodicean church describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity, which is so widely spread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic, he said. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath in religion. Have you taken a lukewarm bath in religion? Are you sentimental or zealous about Jesus? I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for tuning in. Well, for the past few days, Ron has been exploring Revelation chapters 2 and 3, specifically the seven letters the Apostle John wrote to the seven churches in first century Asia. Today we come to the final letter, a rather sobering message sent to the church at Laodicea and one that could very easily have been written to the 21st century church in America. Stay right here or listen on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library. That's where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From his teaching series based on the book of Revelation, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. And our adversary really is the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's not your spouse. It's not your brother or sister in Christ. My mate is not my enemy. My fellow brother and sister in Christ is not my enemy. <laughs> the world, the flesh, and the devil are my enemies, right? Let's keep that in, in, in good view there. And, and Jesus will provide the spiritual protection. He says to them, I will keep you from the hour of trial. What hour of trial is he talking about there? Well, in the context of the book of Revelation, we're, we're, we're talking about the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time, which is the worst of time on earth yet to be fulfilled in Bible prophecy, Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth, and then he says, I'm coming soon. Just in that uh, phraseology there, I see a timeline here. He says, I will keep you, I will keep you from the hour, rapture of the church. Reference 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Next event on God's calendar, the church is out of this world before the tribulation. That's my understanding of it. I know there's a lot of debate on the timeline of Bible prophecy. My best understanding is next event is the rapture. Church does not go through the tribulation period. Then the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world. Then I am coming soon the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so you have the bookended events of the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation, second coming of Jesus Christ, all right there in the letter uh, to the Philadelphians as a way of expressing to them, I got your backside. 
I'm protecting you spiritually. I'm opening a door, a wide door for ministry, but don't think it's easy street. There'll be adversaries on the other side. The synagogue of Satan is going to dog you, but I've taken care of them. And I've also protected you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. Uh, Philadelphia is a wonderful church. You and I would want to go to a church like that. You and I would want to receive a letter like Jesus sent to the church of Philadelphia, a faithful church that just kept God's word and kept his name and honored his name and chose not to deny his name as others have. Now, all of that brings us to the seventh church. This is the church in Laodicea. I titled this message, The Last Days and the Luke warm church. Here's what Jesus said to this church, and this is another time to strap on your seatbelts and to just be be prepared for a, a difficult assessment. Verse 15, I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. If our understanding of the letters to the seven churches is twofold, and keep in mind that that Bible prophecy often has a near-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. That's true in the Old and the New Testament. What Jesus said about this church was was near-term to them in the first century. This was a real church with real people who was diagnosed as being lukewarm. But if we understand these seven churches to be representative of the flow of church history from the beginning of the church age 2,000 years ago up to the last days and the final days of the last days, then the church in Laodicea uh, probably best represents not only the church as it is just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, but also, if you believe we are in the final days of the last days, the church in our time. And that's a chilling, chilling indictment of God's people 2,000 years ago and perhaps God's people today as well. Now, it's interesting. When Jesus sees apostasy or false teaching in the church, he gets, he gets mad. Those fires we saw in his eyes in chapter 1, yeah, that was, that was pointed to the compromising church in Pergamum, and, and uh, he, he, gets, uh, he, he gets mad at apostasy. When it comes to lukewarmness, though, he gets sick to his stomach. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold toward me, but you're you're lukewarm, you're tepid in spirit, and it makes me want to vomit you out of my mouth, he says. John Stott was a fabulous theologian in the 20th century. He died not long ago, and he wrote about the lukewarm church. He says, the Laodicean church was a half-hearted church. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to our times than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widely spread among us today. He says, our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath in religion. That's certainly a description of this church 2,000 years ago, even in Jesus' time or shortly after And it's a description of the church just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You you decide whether we're in the final days of the last days and whether we're in the lukewarm church days. Sure seems like it, doesn't it? Where we've lost our passion for Jesus. I meet a lot of people who kind of remind me of Wilbur Rees, who came up with this little thing called $3 worth of God. He says, I'd like to buy, oh, $3 worth of God, please. 
Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I want to buy $3 worth of God, please. And that describes the inhabitants of the lukewarm church. Just give me enough of God to let me just kind of sit back and soak in this warm bath of skin-deep religiosity, and I'll be just fine. Preach me feel-good sermons. Well, let me tell you something. Other than the church of Philadelphia and maybe the one at Smyrna, there's not a feel-good message in at least five of these letters. Because Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. If you've never been disciplined by the Lord, well, the writer of Hebrews says you may not be a child of God because every father disciplines his son. We know that in father-son relationships. And our father in heaven, when he sees that his church is heading in a bad direction, he doesn't remain silent. No, he says, I I rebuke those, I discipline those, and then I encourage them to come back. There are three heart temperatures that the Bible talks about and we need to be aware of. One is a burning heart. Do you remember one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus when two men were traveling on a road to a city called Emmaus, and, and they were all uh, chattering up about what had happened in Jerusalem, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, all the rumors about His resurrection. They were trying to figure this out from the Old Testament and the Scriptures and all of that. And suddenly Jesus comes walking along next to them, opens up the Old Testament Scriptures and talks to them about Messiah. And right about the time they turned to Him and recognized it was Jesus, the Bible says He disappeared. And the conversation those two men had afterwards, they said, were not our hearts burning when He talked about all the prophecies and all that had just taken place in Jerusalem? Did your heart burn for Jesus? Is, is there something burning in your heart this morning? Maybe when I was talking about this, this idea that you must be born again because that part of you that was created to have a relationship with God is spiritually dead when you're born. Maybe something related to that was burning in your spirit. Take that as evidence of the Holy Spirit calling you to faith in Jesus Christ. If there's not something burning in your heart for Jesus, maybe you don't have a burning heart. Maybe you have a cold heart. And that's another heart temperature the Bible talks about. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is known as the Olivet Discourse. This is a time when Jesus sat down with four of His disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and talked about the end times, just days before He went to the cross. And He said that as we get closer and closer to the end of the age, in the last days, He said, lawlessness will increase. And, and the love in our hearts will grow cold. Don't you feel like that's kind of happening in our culture today? I mean, lawlessness is on the rise. It's hard to find justice. We're living in this chaotic culture. And, and, the, and the coldness, the, the uh, crassness, the lack of civility, the, uh, the, the corrosiveness in our language and in our culture and in our kindness toward one another, it just seems to be evaporating. You think it's bad now as we get closer and closer to the end of the age. Love will grow cold in our hearts toward one another because everybody's looking out for number one, trying to figure out with all the chaos going on in the world, how do I take care of myself? Get out of my way while I do so. That, that'll be the, 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 the temperature in many, many hearts toward the end of the age. 
Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. And remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources like the series you're hearing right now from the book of Revelation, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. The entire audio download of this series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Some stand boldly for what's right. Some stand boldly for what's wrong. But lukewarm people make no stand at all. Here's Ron with the rest of today's message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. So there's the burning heart and the cold heart, and then, of course, the lukewarm heart, the lukewarm heart. Jesus says, I wish you were one or the other. I could deal with that. But this lukewarmness, this lukewarmness is hard for me to deal with. They were a dispassionate church, this Laodicean one. And in a dispassionate, lukewarm church, you'll hear people say things like, ah, let's not get too worked up about this. Let's not get too excited. Uh, Let's not be too fanatical about our faith. You know, let's not wear our religion on our sleeves. Or my favorite, you know, my my religion's a private thing. It's a private thing. It's so private that nobody outside the warm, tepid church that you're in knows that you're a believer. It's that private. It's so private that you've denied the name of Jesus Christ outside of the four walls of your lukewarm church. Let's not go there. They were a dispassionate, dispassionate church. They were also a deceived church. Jesus goes on in verse 17. Listen to this. I know this is hard, but these are the words of Jesus. He says in verse 19, those whom I love I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. Verse 17, let's go back there. He says, for you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, it's easy to just ease your way into a warm, lukewarm bath of religion and say, we're okay, we're just fine, we're rich, we're prosperous, we got a lot of good things going. And Jesus, with his laser-like vision and diagnostic eyes, looks inside and says, no, you are poor, you are naked, you are pitiful. And then he goes on to give them a prescription for how to get out of their lukewarmness. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Are you zealous for God? I remember years ago, the first church that I served, there was a guy who came one Sunday morning. I I met him after the service at the door, put out my hand to meet a first-time visitor. I said, sir, what's your name? He says, I'm a zealot for God. I said, well, okay, okay. Seemed a little odd for God for me, but, you know, but, you know, as I got to know him, he was zealous for Jesus. There wasn't a lukewarm, tepid temperature in his spirit. And that's what Jesus is looking for. Uh, not, not a warm bath in religion, skin-deep religiosity. He says, be zealous and repent. Because here's the third thing about the lukewarm church. It's a dangerous church. 
It's dangerous because it will never fight for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel. It'll just capitulate to a culture who says, tolerate all religions. It's a dangerous church because uh, it won't stand against the evils of our day. Oh, yes, I know we need to be known for what we stand for, for the gospel. But when evil raises its its ugly head in our culture. Do we, do we stand against that? Do we stand against the gale force winds that are blowing against the culture and against the church? A lukewarm church won't do that. It'll just capitulate to the culture. And a lukewarm church is dangerous because it won't fight for things like religious freedom and liberty. It'll just let it sort of fade away. It's sort of like the church during the Holocaust. And there were many religious leaders who just kind of capitulated to Hitler during that time. They were liberal, lukewarm folks, and there were others that stood the ground and, like Bonhoeffer, lost his life for it. Uh, Jesus uh, doesn't give up on the lukewarm church back then and doesn't give up now. I I love what he says in verse 20. After he tells them to be zealous and repent, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Here's the picture of Jesus, gentleman Jesus, not knocking down the door, but knocking on the door. Not screaming and yelling and ranting and raving, but just saying, I'm here. If I knock on the door and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, He says, I'll come in, and we'll sit down and have a meal together. This is Near Eastern language related to hospitality and intimacy. He says, we'll come in and we'll share a meal together. You see, Jesus hasn't given up on the lukewarm church, but he says, I'm I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. I'm not going to force my way in. You, You can continue living in your lukewarmness and your tepidness of spirit, and your warm bath of skin-deep religiosity, or you can hear my knock at the door and hear my voice, you can open up that door and let me in. And when I come in, I'm going to want to head straight to the master suite because that's where I belong. And I'm going to take charge here because I'm the head of the church. And everything works a whole lot better when I'm in charge, but you're going to have to let me in. Now, we've used this Revelation 3.20 in evangelistic settings, but understand it in the context here. Jesus is saying this to a church that went bad that went lukewarm, and he's giving them a second chance. He even goes on to say, the one who conquers, verse 21, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Probably a reference to that time when the church returns with Jesus at the second coming, at the end of the great tribulation, and then afterwards Jesus sets up his millennial reign on this earth. He sets up his Davidic kingdom on this earth for a thousand years, and those who have conquered reign with him. What a picture of grace. It reminds me of how Jesus said to Peter, who denied him three times, Peter, I'm going to give you a second chance. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter went on to lead the early church in such a marvelous way. He's giving a second chance to the lukewarm church and saying, if you just hear my knock, hear my voice, open the door, let me in. We'll have fellowship together, and we'll rule and reign together. Wow, what an invitation is that? These are some pretty powerful letters, are they not? Again, not an interruption to the 
the flow of prophetic thought in the book of Revelation, but important ones for us to, to look inside ourselves as a church, as the people of God, because our job is to, is to watch and to wait for the second coming of Christ, uh, to put our hands to the plow, to the work that God has given to us, to that mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples, to understand we're in a spiritual battle, to fight for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel, to understand we're in a spiritual battle, and to stand strong and to be faithful like the church at Philadelphia. But oh, how easy it is. The vast majority of churches went off in directions where Jesus had to come in gentle and otherwise ways and give a corrective assessment and diagnosis and prescription for how they can get right again. So I don't know where these seven letters strike you individually or personally or how they strike us corporately as a church, but they're important reminders for us as we get ready for the rest of our study through the book of Revelation and many of the exciting uh, future events in Bible prophecy we all sit on the edge of our seats to talk about. But God's church in the midst of all that is a very, very interesting one. Beyond Revelation 2 and 3, the church is not mentioned. Revelation chapter 4, we see the church in heavenly worship because the church has been raptured out of this world. Chapter 5, 6, and following all the way through chapter 19 is that seven-year period of tribulation on this earth. And the church is not found on the earth, as I understand it, and as many other scholars do as well. Um, and that's important for us to remember. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. Ron, I guess the question everyone wants answered is, in what ways, if any, has the church in America become a lukewarm, modern-day Laodicea? And can we take the condition of today's church as a sign that we're living in the last days? Brian, I don't think there's any question that the church in America has become lukewarm. I'm not speaking about any particular church or any particular denomination. Uh, there are many great churches all over this country, and a lot of Christian men and women who are anything but lukewarm, they're very passionate about following Jesus. But taken on the whole, uh, the church in America has in many ways allowed itself to be spiritually emasculated. There's a more tolerant view of sin than there once was. The culture has slowly and steadily numbed our collective senses. This is happening through the media or public policy or even social pressure. We can look simply a generation ago to the early 1960s when God and the Bible were taken out of the public schools. And from that day to this day, it's been a slow, steady moral decline in America. It seems that in general, the church has softened its position on so many hot-button issues about which we used to be passionate and uncompromising. Now, does this mean we're living in the last days? Well, we could be. Remember, the church at Laodicea was just one of many real churches in the first century, whereas what we see now is beginning to be far more widespread. It's very possible that we're nearing the end, plenty of signs to point to it. But the more important question is this. Whether we're nearing the end or not, how shall we live in the meantime? 
That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts on today's message, The Lukewarm Church in the Last Days. Well, Ron, before we leave for the weekend, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the next message in your current series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ? Yes, Brian. Well, we've been looking at the church on earth, its strengths, its shortcomings, and these things have been present all along from the very first churches back in the days of the Apostle Paul. Uh, There's never been any such thing as a perfect church. We've all had our issues down through the ages. But coming on Monday, uh, we move to a passage in Revelation that describes what the church will look like on the other side of this world. It's a beautiful, breathtaking picture of what corporate worship looks like in the hereafter. And I hope everyone can stop by on Monday as I continue my series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and the return of Jesus Christ. That's next time in Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Church in Heavenly Worship. Join us then for Something Good. Now for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis, thanks for listening.